0: Yeah. So for some nutrients, you may just be... It's, there can be several different ways that you might need more nutrient. Either you're not good at absorbing it, or you're not good at actually incorporating that nutrient in your biochemistry, or you're not good at storing it. So for example, with iron, this is quite a common one. You get the people who are very susceptible to anemia, and you do see it running in families because it is strongly genetic. And then there are people that actually need to be careful of having too much iron. So there, is a, there are a few genes at play here, and one of them is how well you absorb iron. So I have the hemochromatosis gene, which means I'm very good at absorbing iron, probably too good, so I don't supplement iron too much. And actually a plant-based diet is better for me in that respect. But then a lot of people have a gene which means they can't store iron very well. They can absorb it, but then they can't store it in their cells as ferritin. So then they need to be making sure they're getting enough iron every day It doesn't necessarily mean you need to supplement, but some people might need to supplement if you're really finding it hard to get enough iron.
1: Welcome back, friends, to the Plant Fjord podcast. Another week has gone by, which means another episode is here. I am as always your host and plant-based nutritionist, Callum Moyer. Today's show we delve into genetics with Ellie Busby. Ellie is a genetics nutritionist and the founder of Vojo Health. The company in which takes your DNA, looks into your genetics to give you an in-depth breakdown on how your body optimizes nutrients to give you a complete health analysis rundown on how to tailor your diet to your body's needs. As we delve into our genes, we discuss how our body deals with certain nutrients why it's harder for some of us to absorb some of the essentials such as iron and omega-3, how a genetic predisposition doesn't necessarily have to be your destiny, and how we should learn to work with our genes and not against them. This episode really opens your eyes and allows us to see that your DNA, your genes, and your nutrition are absolutely vital when it all comes together. So let's sit back and let's dive in. Ellie how are you doing?
0: I'm great thank you Callum. How are you?
1: Yeah I'm not too bad it's been it's been a uh, been a great evening. Um, Yeah it's been nice. So you are a genetics nutritionist which I didn't know until very recently after meeting you um, existed. Um, If anything I just thought you know your genes were you know your blonde hair, your blue eyes, something that you may have got from your parents but had no idea that genes and nutrition came hand in
0: hand oh my god yes and it's like it you know it's it's a bi-directional relationship as well so your genes can affect what nutrients you need more of and which foods can work for you but on the other hand your food and your nutrients can also affect your genes so it's like it's a really kind of cool relationship and you know, I didn't know about it either until I was studying nutrition. And I had a genetic test and I personalised my diet to my genes. And oh my God, like my life changed from that moment. So this is something I really want many more people to know about.
1: There's an actual word for the net. It's not just uh, nutrition gene expert is it there's there is a word i've got it but i can't pronounce it whatsoever um i've tried <laughs> and um even when you type in on you know when you go onto google and you translate it and then tell you how to say it it also doesn't give you an exact
0: <laughs> so yes the way that your uh, your genes affect your nutrition is called nutrigenetics and the way that your food affects your genes is nutrigenomics. Quite similar words, but they are a little bit
1: different. Yeah, absolutely. That very, very confusing as well. If you're just an outsider looking into this, you're just kind of like, oh, this is just another word that I have no idea what it means. Um, so obviously you, you are a, um, you're you on a plant-based diet completely. Um, so were you on a plant-based diet before learning about genes or did were you learning about genes and being like, oh, I need to tailor now my diet towards what I've learned? Or was it, which way around was it?
0: Well, I've been vegan for about 10 years and I was one of those people in the first few years that, you know, I was like, this is great. This is amazing. It's so easy. Like, why doesn't everybody do it? Everybody should go vegan right now. I was that really annoying person. You probably didn't want to be around. And that was until like five years in when suddenly I started experiencing all of these health problems that I thought were kind of myths, you know, like my hair started falling out. I had brain fog all the time. I was getting running injuries a lot, like my, my joints were hurting. I was like, wow, okay. I am not old enough for this. Um, and, I, and I was like, I just, maybe it's my vegan diet, but I just don't wanna like, you know, I can't go back. I just can't.
1: You don't want to go and- diet either. That's the thing. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right. And like, you know, lots of other people, I knew lots of people who have been vegan for years, longer than me and they were still fine. So I was like, well, and there's also lots of people that struggle as well, but I was like, you know, there's something going on here. And we do know that everyone is different. You know, there's not one diet that suits everybody. We know that for a fact. And I, so I studied nutrition, I had the DNA test and this is when I learned about DNA. So it was about five years into to a vegan diet. And then when I got the results, yeah, it it changed my whole diet. It means I'm still vegan today, which is great news for everyone, including the animals and the planet. So, you know.
1: Awesome. Um, Because that's the thing I think in my head, I assumed that it would have been that you went into nutrition, genetics and been like, oh, this doesn't work for me. So I need to have my lifestyle to how it works. And I assume that's how you kind of went down that route. But here it's the other way around as well. it's great that you've actually taken that uh, time to realize that your diet at that point wasn't great. Things were happening, and then taking your taking what you've like taking your symptoms, learning from DNA, and just kind of moving with how your body works and finding out what why it is your body needs this. Why like what's working for you, what's not working for you, and kind of tailoring those exact nutrients for your body. Which for one, I didn't realize that certain nutrients won't work the same for everybody. Um, in, my, in my eyes at first, I thought it was a one-size-fits-all. So when it came to kind of like, you know, Amiga's like converting over into new, um, another category, um, I thought that's the same for everybody, but then finding out very much so that some people are slower converters, some people are faster converters, some I assume can't convert at all.
0: Everybody converts a little bit, but you're totally right. You know, within veganism or like a plant-based world, there's kind of, there's two really fan camps in this area. There's the people who say, you can't convert enough. You need to supplement DHA. Otherwise you're not getting enough omega-3 into your brain, even if you eat chia seeds all day. And then there are the people that say, it is a of money. You don't need to supplement this stuff. You can just eat, you know, one and a half or one tablespoon of flax seeds a day, and you're getting all the omega three you need. And you're—it's super confusing, right? Like it's so confusing having this, all this conflicting advice because you're like, okay, there must be an answer, and there is. The answer is is that you are unique, and figuring out which one works for you because they're both right is super important.
1: Yeah. So you could you could literally be listening to two different people coming with very conflicting advice and no one's really knowing who to listen to and i get that from especially when you for, for me on for my business people have been like oh is a plant-based diet suitable should i go back to meat?" and it's con- like contradicting advice everywhere and i assume that's very much the same until you have to kind of delve a bit deeper past what people are saying and actually into the science especially when it comes to your your dna um, because that, that like for me, when learning nutrition, DNA was never once mentioned. it's just kind of like one size fits all it's the same for everybody uh, if you do this right if you do this wrong you're going to come into these difficulties you're not going to come into these difficulties and it is when when these when these um, subjects are brought up, they're not taught well at all
0: I totally agree and you know it's it, there's a problem in the industry as well it's not you had so when genetics first became popular or these at home dna testing kits first became popular um you can read some reviews online of people that tested a few different ones from different companies and then compared the results and they're like but the results are different this doesn't like this is obviously a load of rubbish whatever and it's a shame because you know there's so much evidence for some genes and how they affect your nutrient needs. But companies can pretty much do what they want. So I I investigated some of these companies, I'm not gonna name any names, but um, some of them were giving diet and lifestyle advice based on animal studies. And that is like, that is not okay because you know, animal studies, well, aside from the ethical issues, it's really not, you can't base any recommendations for humans on these studies because animals are totally different. Like a rabbit, or a rat is gonna to react totally differently to the same food you'd give a human. So they're okay studies for um, for starting other scientific studies for starting human studies, apart from the ethical issues. Um, but other than that, that's where it ends, you know? So it's worrying that some of these companies get away with this, um, but yeah, that's like, that's going to be something that happens in the very near future, that these results are going to be standardised, that there's going to be some sort of um, uh, certification for these sorts of uh, tests. And I hope that happens soon.
1: That's the thing, because whenever I do, um, I look into studies, um, especially when it comes to animal studies, because there's a lot and there's a lot of past studies. And yes, I guess at some points there was a need-ish for it. Um, Nowadays, not at all Um, but back then when everything was being formed um, science was kind of just evolving Um, but it does seem that everything was tested on animals beforehand which doesn't always correlate to a human because obviously we are very very different species so it does confuse me how these studies even get into like the kind of limelight when like let's say a mouse and me are two very different people
0: yeah definitely and also if you look at the doses or the amounts that these animals are being given it's usually a lot for their their size and their weight so you just like you just can't translate this stuff to humans
1: yeah absolutely so when it when it does come to genetics so obviously whenever you go to a a doctor or or something oh someone's died in the family of, of like bowel cancer um for instance so then the whole family has to kind of go get tested i know this happened for me um i had to go get a colonoscopy for no apparent reason at all um because i got told that this runs in the family and i'm guessing obviously if you do have you can you can have a predisposition to getting some of these um some of these unlikely outcomes such as cancers such as bowel disease such as heart attacks but obviously it has to come down to lifestyle as well. It can't just be down to genetics of what people are doing. Because obviously, like, I, I'm not too sure on the actual um, science behind this. I know I've, I've read studies, I've seen studies where it's kind of been like, your genetics are 20% of, your, um, uh, of what, what the outcome can be, can be. And then the other 80% is very much kind of how you upregulate, how you downregulate your genes. Um, so that way, let's say, bowel cancer, for instance, does not have to be your destiny. It's just what you do in that time frame of being born to when you die, what happens within the body.
0: Yeah, of course, your genes are not your destiny. Okay, well, first we need to preface this with the fact that there are generally um, two types of genetic conditions. One is monogenic, which means that, you know, you only need one a, a mutation in one gene and it causes the disease. Mm-hmm. So something like cystic fibrosis. This is like you only need one mutation, and you know, you have the disease. And in this case, genetics are like, you know, most of the cause. But most things like diabetes, like heart disease, like high cholesterol, like cancer, these are polygenic. So yeah, there are lots of genes involved. And it's not just your genes, you're right. It's so much to do with diet and lifestyle and how these change your genetic expression, um, but also how they just affect your body. And it's about, you know, it's like, it's important to know, in my opinion, it's so important to know whether you have these genes because then you know, you have a better idea of how you can eat and live in accord, like alongside your genes so that your genes aren't your destiny. You know, you don't, if you have the Alzheimer's gene, you don't have to get Alzheimer's disease. You can reduce your risk by doing the right things like getting enough omega-3, like reducing your refined carbohydrate, like increasing your healthy fat intake. And these are all recommendations, you know, anyway, but knowing that you have the gene helps you make those changes. And we do have evidence for that, that people are much more likely to make these changes in their lives if they know it's personal to them. So for example, my, I inherited the Alzheimer's gene from my dad and he, he died from dementia, um, but he didn't know he had these genes. I know. And, you know, it's the, there's the science and the studies say that if you have this gene, you really need to be making these changes in your 30s and your 40s. You can't just start supplementing omega-3 when you're 70 and you already have Alzheimer's. It's not going to do anything. Um, so, yeah, it's super important to know what those changes are you can make
1: exactly because that that's the thing like uh, after learning a lot about nutrition obviously when obviously nobody wants heart disease nobody wants any of these conditions so now i kind of eat like i have the worst health in the world so <laughs> this, this is my way <laughs> of thinking is that if i eat like i i am on the path to the worst health possible uh, and i'm trying to reverse it that this is the only outcome for me so my is literally very much whole foods with your healthy fats your your grains, your, your good proteins, all this. Um, that way, hopefully averting myself away, away from these kind of diseases that can come in the future. And hopefully with, with that information that I'm, I'm giving myself, learning and giving other people, it can obviously help people achieve that too. But I will eat like I have the worst help in the world.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a good route to take. Uh, I have found though that it is difficult to do everything you know Mm. you have these lists of everything you should be eating or supplementing in a day and it's like how the hell am I supposed to get all of this in my stomach um so for me I find it helpful to know where I need to focus Mm. and it like it takes some of the trial and error it takes some of the ambiguity out you know actually what is most important for you and everything else you can get in there when you need it but it's like with supplements you don't want to be well on one hand you don't want to be spending money on supplements f- for nutrients you can get from food as you as you know but also you don't want to be spending supplement uh, like money on supplements that you don't ha- you don't need because you actually have lower needs for this nutrient. On the flip side, I do want to be spending my money on the supplements that I really do need mm. so
1: that's what I good going would like with supplementation um, and your genes. Obviously, when we're getting it from food, I'm guessing there's probably uh, a better absorption rate depending on who you are. Um, so I'm getting, It's not going to be the same for everybody. But obviously, with, these, um, with a lot of these supplements as well, there is other added small little ingredients as well. So I don't know if that actually kind of diverts away your absorption by having, let's say, five other ingredients that you're not overly too sure what they are, They are just kind of, they're long words, nobody really knows, and then you've got like traces of let's say vitamin D, Um, you've got traces of like let's say B12, Um, and then a few other ingredients as well, does this then hinder the absorption?
0: Yeah, so there are, yeah, if you get cheaper supplements, there are additives uh, and preservatives in them which can have an effect not only on your health but on, on the nutrients themselves um, and you know it's it's different for, for all of them, but there are some common ones that I would generally avoid. But as well as that you need to think about the forms of the supplements, so you're totally right. Like some forms of supplements, like if you get um, a cheap magnesium, for example, magnesium citrate, not only is that going to cause you gut issues probably, but you don't actually absorb it very well, like you're you're kind of wasting your money. So I would always recommend a much better absorbed. Um, form which is magnesium bisglycinate and not only is it better uh, absorbed it doesn't cause gut issues it can cross your blood brain barrier which most forms of magnesium can't. Now I don't recommend this to everybody like some people have higher needs for magnesium according to their genes and it's these people who should really focus on this but for most people you don't actually need to supplement magnesium if you're eating a whole food a really nutrient-dense diet.
1: I do see a lot of people supplementing. A lot of different well, supplements of all sorts, vitamins and minerals, when I feel like they're spending a lot of money for something they could very much sort with a few pieces of food. So, such like people obviously supplementing vitamin C um, when you could go pick up an orange. Um, but it, it, when you're comparing whole foods to a supplement such like vitamin C, um, obviously we, we all know you should be, it's the, it's the better option to be taking. The vitamin C for an orange, um, but in some cases, I'm guessing that obviously some people eat eat that uh, eat eat vitamin C, yet still have a deficiency or a lower a lower intake of it. So, is this something that genes play into? Um, for
0: sorry, I didn't quite understand the question. Genes play into how much you need of vitamin C
1: how much how much you actually get from let's say a an orange as such um compared oh, to a, su- a supplement because people um they take they, they take a uh, they eat an orange they eat fruits all these other kind of foods get still a low in vitamin c and they still get told to take a supplement so i'm guessing obviously um and there must be some issues there with genetics
0: yeah so for some nutrients you may just be it's, there can be several different ways that you might need more nutrient. Either you're not good at absorbing it, or you're not good at actually incorporating that nutrient in your biochemistry, or you're not good at storing it. So for example, with iron, this is quite a common one. You get the people who are very susceptible to anemia and you do see it running in families because it is strongly genetic. And then there are people that actually need to be careful of having too much iron. So there is a there are a few genes at play here and, One of them is how well you absorb iron. So I have the hemochromatosis gene, which means I'm very good at absorbing iron, probably too good. So I don't supplement iron too much. And actually a plant-based diet is better for me in that respect. But then a lot of people have a gene, which means they can't store iron very well. They can absorb it, but then they can't store it in their cells as ferritin. So then they need to be making sure they're getting enough iron every day. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to supplement, but some people might need to supplement if you're, really finding it hard to
1: get enough iron so obviously uh, talking about iron this really comes into the the subject of meat um obviously me and you both um vegans um both on very plant-based diets so genetic wise is there any reason or any anything any gene that would favor actually having meat in the diet um not that we're looking to kind of <laughs> promote promote having meat in the diet but is there genetics that make you more favorable to maybe having having some uh, some sort of kind of meat intake more than a plant-based intake on any nutrient?
0: it's hard to make it so categorical so I wouldn't say that someone is on the whole more suited to a meat-based or a vegan diet. Um, I would say that some people find being vegan much easier than others, whereas other people might suffer more with deficiencies and health issues. So your genes aren't a justification for what type of diet to follow. they are a way to learn about your body and learn how to work with it. So yeah, you're right. I do hear people say they need to eat meat because of their genes, but I'm like, what, (laughs) how does that make any sense? Um, There's no like one, one gene that determines this. It's a lot of different genes and it's more complicated than that. So it's like, okay, what areas do you need to focus on and work on? And that's the same with any diet. Having said that, there are, with some genes, I do actually recommend avoiding meat because it is worse for you. If you do have the hemochromatosis gene, like it runs in my family, you don't want to be eating red meat because you we absorb iron too well. And that means you know high ferritin stores are associated with diabetes, cardiovascular disease, all sorts of problems. So actually for some people, I do recommend don't eat meat because of these genes.
1: That's the thing was I, I've known somebody years for years and he was on a completely plant-based diet but yet um told i don't think he didn't have any proof of this he didn't go to doctors he didn't have a a a gene sample or a dna sample taken i think it was was more google research and the google research was like oh you have certain genes that mean that you, you you just can't be on a vegan diet altogether so he went back Um, him and his kids to all very much eating a very meat heavy diet of um, a a lot of red meat. He's a a big red meat eater. And I I like you you can't really go ahead and kind of diagnose yourself with this kind of thing from what somebody has seen online. And I think this is what a lot of people do do is being like, they they will see something on Google, they'll type something in and be like, oh, this is down to so-and-so when there's actually no evidence towards that and their body, it's just kind of opinion.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. There's a lot of very categorical advice out there, and it's tempting to follow it, but usually it's like, it's very inaccurate. Um, At the same time, you know, I do advocate experimenting and seeing what works for your body and seeing what feels good. Not that I would ever advocating eating meat for several reasons, but Um, you know just figure out what works for you um, and and make these experiments on yourself actually as we're on the subject of meat there is a study that shows that people with a certain gene the FTO gene which actually means that if you have this gene you tend to be more hungry you tend to need um, you tend to eat more snack more you tend to struggle with weight issues um, and that's because it messes with your hunger hormones and you never really feel full and studies show that people with this gene tend to eat more meat. There are less vegetarians or vegans with this gene. It makes sense because you know you're getting a higher dose of protein on, um, or like easier sources of protein on, on a meat-based diet, whereas you may be getting less protein on a plant-based diet if you're new to it, for example. Um, so that's like that's one thing that might be at play here with your friend, especially. But it's you know it's no reason to eat meat. You can figure out how to feel satiated and get protein on a a plant-based diet easily enough
1: exactly like it's one of those things that i i i've been drilling into him for the last however many years that it's probably your protein intake and it is probably something that you can replace whether that be with a substitute of uh meat or um or going for a whole foods option, so obviously kind of like concocting a, a dish full of like lentils, black beans inside like a chilli or something like that, but won't have it at all. And I'm just like, oh, you, so much, so much wrong here. You just, I, I, I want to explode. I know I need to keep my cool because I don't want to be that guy either that's like, you know what, you need to go vegan. Um, as much as I'd love to be, because I think everybody, um, I, I think everybody has, especially when they go vegan or plant-based, they become a... A bit of a preachy vegan at first, um, or very, very militant, and I know that happened for me for the for the first six seven months. Till I realised I was probably losing more friends than making them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, when that starts happening, you don't need to change something. <laughs>
1: yeah, and now it's now it's uh now it's fine. After a while, after I learned to kind of curve my 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 anger some in some other ways, um. So obviously. Um, a lot of the listeners here are athletes, um, a lot of them um, bodybuilders as well. And there's uh, there's a few people that listen to uh, this podcast for um, weight loss. So when we go into calorie deficit for weight loss, and obviously this is probably not going to be the same for everybody because everybody has different requirements, but obviously it depends on the person. But is there people that are more susceptible to weight gain even though they're consuming a lower quantity of food? So let's say they're in a calorie deficit, but still somehow manage to gain weight. Um, Is there genes that obviously play into this?
0: That's an extremely interesting question. Usually genes, people might feel like they're eating less, but usually the, the genes are associated with actually a higher intake of calories because... Um, a lot of these genes, they're, they're related to your, your ghrelin and your leptin levels, which are your hunger and your satiety hormones. So when your ghrelin is high, you're hungry. When you eat and your leptin goes up, you stop eating. You're like, this is your signal that you're full and you need to stop eating. But there's a lot of genes that play around with these levels. And so if you have some of them, your leptin levels might not get as high as other people. So you don't realize that you, you should stop eating um and on top of that there are some genes associated with going for more energy dense foods so feeling more attracted to fatty foods sugary foods so you know it's difficult because we know for a fact that there's a lot of under reporting when it comes to reporting energy intake you know people forget that they had that chocolate bar i mean i do it as well so you know um but it's just it's very convenient that you forget about the bad foods that you ate throughout the day so it is difficult to determine these sorts of things but yeah there is they're, they're starting to to become some wait that wasn't grammatically correct there is a little bit of evidence that some of these genes are associated with your metabolism so how readily you store fat and how easily you can burn it some people can burn fat a lot easier than others so yes there are a lot of genetic factors at play here that can change how you store weight and how you use the energy as well and knowing what your tendencies are mean that you can kind of design your um your exercise routine or your 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 like macronutrient balance around what is better for your metabolism.
1: Hmm. That's the thing. Like I hear a lot of people just being like, "Oh, this person just needs to go into a calorie deficit and they'll be fine. They're going to lose weight." But for me, I like for me especially, uh, especially working with clients, um, a calorie deficit sometimes just isn't just isn't enough to get them to lose weight straight away. And then you get these um, these. Um, fitness experts online that are just being like oh if you just drop 400 500 calories and then get into a low calorie obviously calorie um deficit that you're going to lose weight and yes i think on any diet if you're going to go into a very low calorie deficit then you're going to lose weight but surely that's playing around with some inner structure which isn't going to be good for you because i i've met many people that have been told to go on 1200 like 1200 um, calorie diets and Yes, they're losing weight. Yes, they had no energy whatsoever. But obviously, if you're going that low, does this then affect your genes in any way?
0: Um, I don't know if it affects your genes, but it would definitely affect your metabolism. Mm. So if you're if you're going if you're cutting your um, your calorie intake this much, your body is going to go into survival mode, and it's going to do everything it can to not let go of any more calories, you know? So your metabolism slows right down and this makes it incredibly unsustainable. So think about it. You're never you're never gonna get through the rest of your life eating 1,200 calories. Not only is it going to be hard on your energy levels, you are going to have health impacts later in life from depriving yourself of the nutrients you need. Um, but then when you start eating more again and people always start eating more again, you're gonna store more fat. You're gonna start gaining weight even more than you did before because you're in survival mode. Your body is like, yes, there's food. Let's like, you know, store it for later when we're in a famine again. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it never works. And it's, I, I, I think it's something that we're starting to come around to that we're starting to understand. Um, that dieting does not work and is not sustainable. That's
1: the thing, um, especially with people I work with, um, I hate the fact that people wanted to call it a diet because it's not sustainable and it's an industry-marketed regime, basically. Um, And it's weird that when you start to eat a, a healthier diet, it's then constituted as you are on a diet when it's just a oh I'm just eating healthier for my own benefit how how I feel it's gonna make me feel great but yet when someone sees me with like a Buddha bowl, they've been like oh you on a diet I'm like no I'm just I'm just eating like I I like I want to feel great like I don't want to be eating a, a load of junk food because it's so junk food has been so cleverly marketed that when you do eat something healthy you're then automatically on a diet whereas obviously diets don't mean anything um a diet is the way someone eats on a day-to-day basis so obviously me being a vegan I'm on a on a vegan diet but that doesn't mean if I eat some lettuce now I'm I'm dieting um and it's such a such a giant confusion throughout the industry
0: oh my god I am so sad that the word diet has been hijacked in this way it's so annoying
1: (laughs) that's the thing because people were like oh you're vegan now is this for uh is this for weight loss no it's just just how I want to eat like I just don't want to cause harm anymore but but you're eat but you're not eating uh you're not eating this pizza like I don't want to I just want to eat some quinoa I want to eat some like brown rice and they're like ah is it for weight loss (laughs) no (laughs) and it's just it is it is frustrating and I think where the industry has taken over it is it has played with people's minds as well so it's trying to get people out of that consistent feeling that they are there for a specific reason that specific reason being to lose
0: weight
1: mm-hmm. yeah so obviously talking about weight loss and junk food junk food i'm guessing this must play a huge factor in some way shape or form in obviously in your body with down regulating and up regulating your genes because there is so much crap in the a lot of these foods, whether this be a a vegan diet, whether this be a a, a meat diet, any of these kind of very overly processed foods, we know deep down aren't good for our bodies as much as we consume them, Um, but they must be doing something else within the body because obviously we know they cause obesity, we know they cause type two diabetes, um, they can like cause heart disease, high cholesterol, all these different bits and pieces. So there's something else going on within, within the body with these foods. So what's, what's going on there with the, the gene wires?
0: So the way that um, foods affect genetic expression like that is, is quite complicated because there are quite a lot of components to some junk food. Um, it's We're not just breaking it down to nutrients or single ingredients. So it is quite a complicated topic. Um, And we do, there are some associations like, you know, that if you have certain genes uh, in your uh, fatty acid metabolism, then for example, eating a lot of omega-6 is uh, more associated with weight gain for you than other people. So, you know, we have some associations, but it's kind of difficult to work with. And it's like, we we know that junk food isn't good for us and um you know some people can handle it more than others depending on their genes and some people will have a much harder time with junk food like for example some people will have um will will get spots or pimples when they eat uh junk food or some people will uh, become more inflamed and have inflammatory symptoms like joint pain Um, and this is usually down to too much omega-6 and as we all know Omega-6 is incredibly easy to get too much of if you're eating junk food. Um, so you do kind of get in a vicious cycle with with these fats in your genes um, if if you're not suited to them. But usually it's quite easy to see if you're not suited. Like you, you have those symptoms and, um, but it, on the other hand, it's not always easy to see what the foods are that are causing it. Absolutely. But I mostly always say, you know, just if you're having issues, then try removing some junk food from your diet and replacing it with whole foods. You don't need a DNA test to, to know that that's, or to, to try that out and see what the, the benefits of that are going to be.
1: Absolutely. Um, we're gonna move on to protein, that big, the big question that every vegan gets. And we know that we can get protein it's very well established now um, that we can get the amount of protein we need on a plant-based diet. But when protein and genes come together, is there then? Obviously, we know absorption of some of some nutrients are like depending on your body um, can be highly absorbed or um, a lot lower absorbed. So, when it comes to protein, are there different types of genes that? Um, allow higher protein absorption or, and obviously genes that, that deflect a lot of protein absorption from certain foods as such.
0: There are no genes that I know of that change your protein absorption. Um, there are genes that uh, may, you may find that you need more protein um, okay. to feel satiated, but in terms of protein absorption, uh, generally, I wouldn't say that there's that much difference.
1: Okay, so it's, it's more when it comes to down to like minerals, vitamins, as such, and not like the, the, the higher macros, uh, the micros and the macros.
0: Usually with macronutrients, it's about how your, how your body deals with them. So there are genes associated with um, blood sugar imbalance, a higher risk of diabetes if you're eating too many um, refined carbs uh, with, um, a higher risk of, um, high cholesterol with some types of food with a higher risk of, um, you know, other disorders from having too much or too little refined sugars or fats in your diet. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's usually about how your body deals with it, not with the absorption of these foods, whereas with some nutrients it's about absorption. But we also have to consider your microbiome in this. I mean, your gut plays a huge part in how well you can metabolize, break down and absorb a lot of macronutrients. So, you know, it's, it's, there, was a, there was a study um, in, in twins, actually, that looked at this and they found that uh, for, for blood sugar balance, your genes played a big part. Um, but for your, your fats, like your triglycerides in your blood, um, how they varied, that was more down to your microbiome. So that was kind of interesting, but there was no difference in protein. It was really about the fats and the the sugars.
1: Mm. That's, that's, that's one thing I have, I have seen in the past where people are like, I need, I need to be consuming more protein because I don't absorb protein well. And I didn't know if there was actually any truth to that whatsoever or it's just someone trying to um create the idea in their head that they do need more protein than they actually need um which as we know after, after a certain point it gets wasted anyway um but there is it, it has been people that i have known have been like i need this because i don't absorb i don't absorb things well And i'm like that's great um where are you getting this information from also
0: <laughs> having said that there are genes to do with your your muscle composition Okay. So, some people do find it easier to build muscle, but it's not about the protein absorption. It's about how efficiently um, your, your muscles can, can rebuild um, and the fiber, the different types of fibers. So, there are genes associated with higher fast twitch or higher slow twitch muscle fibers. Um, and you do find that people with more fast twitch muscle fibers can build muscle faster just because their muscles are more efficient at working. But this is more about how you train. Rather than how much protein you eat. So if you know this about yourself, then you just train differently.
1: Yeah, I know you're you're a you're a runner yourself, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So, they like, obviously with the like the, the knowing your your protein as well. This kind of I'm guessing helps with your uh, your, your muscles for your legs and your cardio, uh, cardiovascular health as well. Um, so I'm guessing knowing exactly what what your body needs and how it works Um, especially for you it's very easy to kind of work out exactly where to get a certain nutrients from to perform to the best of your ability as well Um, because I'm, I'm guessing you tailor your nutrients exactly for your performance of running
0: yes oh my god the biggest game changer for me was so one of the main things that used to hinder my running was joint pain knee pain oh my god it was like it used to be so bad and then when I when I tailored my diet to my genes, I pretty much removed omega six because I'm very sensitive to omega six according to my genes. Um, it means that I more readily convert the omega six from foods, from oil, from vegetable oil, from rapeseed oil, from like you know refined foods into inflammatory counterparts. And so you know my body was in a constantly inflamed state. I've removed rapeseed oil, which we're told actually is good for you on a vegan diet. I mean, for some people, it's it's good. For for some people, it's really not good. So I removed that and a lot of other and all other refined oils apart from olive oil. And I have never had knee pain since then. Then that was years ago. So, you know, it's just it's incredibly interesting how just knowing this one thing about your body and changing it can just revolutionise your your sport and your like your performance.
1: That's the thing, like, for me, uh, running. That um, I I do a lot of running, and it was just trial and error with foods um, that were going to give me the energy I needed. Because obviously, if you look on a piece of paper uh, in black and white, lentils and sweet potatoes and other potatoes should give me the energy I need to run. Whereas when I was trialing a different one each day, um, they weren't. Uh, well, not so much like lentils or something, but chickpeas, like lentils give me a huge amount of energy. Sweet potato, a huge amount of energy. Chickpeas as such do not. Um, although they had the same near enough composition um, of how they're built structurally with their like proteins and their, their carbs and that. Whereas chickpeas just didn't do it for me. And is this down to how your how your body um, obviously takes in different foods, but is that down to genetics?
0: Some people are better at burning carbohydrates than others, that's for sure. Um, whereas some people are much better at getting into a fasted state. So, like um like going into ketosis, basically, when you run fasted. When it comes to the difference between lentils and uh, chickpeas, I would imagine this is more down to your microbiome because you know chickpeas are, are one of the harder ones to digest mm. from a food matrix perspective. Um, so I wonder if actually that is something to do with your your gut bacteria levels that you weren't as able to efficiently digest and absorb the energy from the chickpeas that you were from the lentils.
1: The thing, I, I do go through phases of just testing, testing foods just to just for my performance um, to see what works best for me, what gets me my new uh, personal bests and just kind of what's really fueling me. And there's some amazing foods that do it, but there's some foods I just eat and I, I go for a run. I'm just like, off from, just this is not working for me whatsoever. Like, I know I'm going to fail with this one. Well, not so much fail, but I know I'm not going to finish with my energy storage. it's It's been wiped out. So for, just for you personally, what are your top foods for your uh, your pre your pre run?
0: Good question. So usually I have um, quite a high fat and carb breakfast, um, actually high protein as well. So all of them, um, and I do that usually like about four like four or five hours before my run. So I'll have. Um, beans, uh, tofu and soya milk and chia seeds and some sort of grain um, and some berries and other fruit and peanut butter and you know, like have a nice mashed up breakfast. Um, And then I find for me personally, that loading up on getting enough healthy fats is incredibly important. But according to my genes, I'm also much better at getting like adapting to a fasted state as well so it kind of makes sense um and then you know about half an hour before maybe i'll have a piece of fruit maybe i will um i'll I'll have some simple carbohydrates you know maybe some some whole grain bread maybe some um potatoes and something you know what whatever is lying around basically usually there's some leftovers from 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 yesterday in our fridge um yeah and then after that it's just about eating something quickly because I found in the past that it was easy for me to to delay eating but that I was also getting a lot of injuries and since I've been eating much sooner after I finish my runs especially long runs and um, it's much better and what you really want to do is get like a good ratio of carbs and protein and I found that's that's very very helpful for me so yeah for me it was more about getting more fats which is not what you would expect but I find that gives me the most sustainable energy
1: that's me, I, like that's the thing like I whenever I play around uh, fatty foods really just don't play great with me um I, actually saying that depending on what I'm doing if I if I'm going to go to the gym fatty foods give me a lot more energy than let's say my carbs whereas if I'm on my run a carb is mm-hmm. really um, as you would imagine, giving me that energy I need, but like the fatty foods beforehand, um, for the gym really kind of power me through like a, um, a weighted workout. So it's just kind of really playing with what your body loves, what it hates, and kind of getting to know how your body works. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm guessing this is the same with genes as well, you need to know exactly how your, your genes are working. And obviously that is what you do. Um, so This is where VOJO Health comes in. Um, So uh, tell us about VOJO.
0: Yeah, so my company is VOJO and the mission is really to help people, vegans and vegetarians and anyone on a plant-based diet understand their body and make sure they're getting the nutrients they need to achieve their goals. Usually that is um, in fitness and in weight management and just generally feeling great in your body. My personal mission is to make sure that nobody gives up on a vegan diet and to inspire other people to go vegan too by just being amazing. So yeah, we do that through DNA testing. Um, And when you do a DNA test, which is literally just a saliva swab, my favorite thing to say is that it's easier than doing a COVID test because you just, it's just a saliva swab of your cheek rather than your brain. so yeah, it's just a saliva swab, and then you get all this information about yourself, like which nutrients work better for you, which foods work better for you. Um, we even do reports on sleep and stress, and um, you know what kind of day structure and lifestyle works for you. And it's really, it's not set in stone. You know, it's a starting point to um, play around with and figure out what works for you. But it just takes away so much trial and error. So yeah, that's how it works.
1: It was, I had a little. Um, I had a little look on the website earlier, and you do have a full breakdown of everything that you get back, and it's very, it's very easy to read as well. It's very in depth, but breaks down kind of all your needs in the best way for everybody to read as well. So it's not just, it's not just a load of kind of scientific lingo which nobody's going to understand. It's very much um, dumbed down is not the, the the best way to word it, but for everybody to read. Um, it's very simple and so in depth
0: yeah i mean there's no point giving people information that they can't understand right it's about what's important is that you make the changes in your in your diet and your lifestyle which work for you
1: that's perfect um that's the thing like i think once people have this information they can ref like readily and run them they can make those changes whereas otherwise it is a lot of just kind of playing around seeing what works for them and what they think may be working for them might not be and later on down the line it's going to really kind of affect them in some way shape or form so i I, i'd say it's probably a good idea to go get one of these uh on your dna tests
0: of course i would agree with you
1: (laughs) 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 exactly that so we're gonna round this off in a second but before you go the one thing i'd like to ask everybody is so when you've had a long long day and you really can't be asked to cook um and but you know you have to and you have to throw something together that's nutritious quick and simple but very nutritious at the same time what is your go-to meal
0: can i say chocolate (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's
0: not a meal but you know my go-to thing if I can't do anything else is chocolate but you know like I'm, I feel like I just I have to justify this um there are a lot of health benefits to dark chocolate uh, I have a whole blog on it on my website I've collated all of the evidence and there is a lot of it for all of the benefits of dark chocolate including on your cardiovascular health your brain health your sport everything so before you judge me go and read it
1: <laughs> I, I I, will definitely go check that out because if anything if I need an excuse to f- find and eat dark chocolate I will find that excuse and you've given me that excuse now so <laughs> I will definitely be checking that out later
0: good I'm here hey, for you
1: <laughs> where can we find you
0: so um, everywhere on social media, on um, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Um, Vojo is Vojo Health, one word. Um, if you want to connect with me personally on Instagram, uh, and like it's a lot more about running and nutrition, that's at my Vegan Genie. Don't ask me about the name; it's just it's kind of random, and it's that.
1: When I saw that your Instagram name was My Vegan Genie, I assumed it was New Jeans and you being vegan.
0: Yeah, I'm ho- I'm yeah hoping. Exactly. I'm hoping
1: that's the reason, because at first I read it, I was like, genie, as in, you know, lamp. Um, <laughs> and then I was kind of, and then it correlated between, I was like, ah, oh, now I get it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, I feel like it's the twist in the story when you get to know what what I'm posting about. So at first you think genie in the lamp and then you're like, ah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ellie, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us.
0: It was so much fun. Thank you.